Sup, you beautiful bastards. Hope you have a fantastic Monday. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. And a quick note before we get started, today's an exciting day because the format of the PDS is now changing. Moving forward, the Philip DeFranco Show will be a mukbang. Enjoy. So let's talk about Kim Kardashian, right? Because there was a whole kimono scandal. We said most likely it was going to go one of two ways. Either the outrage was going to be that big, um, or it was just a marketing tactic so she could be like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm listening, and then she gets all that free promotion. Well, guess what? It happened. And I'm kidding. Although, there's probably like 8% of you that would prefer that format. Actually, for the 8% that are still here and would be interested in that, maybe as a funny one-time thing, let me know in the comments and also maybe hit that like button. But, with that said, let's just jump into it. And the first thing we're gonna talk about today is this Taylor Swift, Scooter Braun music industry situation. So yesterday the news broke that Scooter Braun, who is the owner of the label Ithaca Holdings and talent manager to artists like Justin Bieber and Ariana Grande, acquired Big Machine Records. Big Machine is run by Scott Borchetta and includes pretty much all of Taylor Swift's musical catalog. It was only just last year that Taylor switched to Universal Records, so pretty much everything after that deal, which so far is two songs from her upcoming album, sticks with her there. But the six albums that Taylor has already released still belong to Big Machine. And when the news that Scooter would now own almost all of her work broke, she wrote a letter on Tumblr. And there she explains both why she decided to leave Big Machine and why she thinks that the situation will be bad for her. Writing, for years I asked, pleaded for a chance to own my work. Instead, I was given an opportunity to sign back up to Big Machine Records and quote, earn one album back at a time, one for every new one I turned in. I walked away because I knew once I signed that contract, Scott Borchetta would sell the label, thereby selling me and my future. I had to make the excruciating choice to leave behind my past, music I wrote on my bedroom floor, and videos I dreamed up and paid for from the money I earned playing in bars, then clubs, then arenas, then stadiums. She goes on to say that she found out about this news when everyone else did, and then going on to say that she has been bullied by Scooter for years. Specifically citing like when Kim Kardashian orchestrated an illegally recorded snippet of a phone call to be leaked, and then Scooter got his two clients together to bully me online about it. She includes this Instagram Justin Bieber posted after the incident happened where Justin was FaceTiming Kanye and Scooter with the caption, Taylor Swift, what up? And she continues to list examples, saying, or when his client Kanye West organized a revenge porn music video which strips my body naked, now Scooter has stripped me of my life's work that I wasn't given an opportunity to buy. Essentially, my musical legacy is about to lie in the hands of someone who tried to dismantle it. Going on to say, this is my worst case scenario. This is what happens when you sign a deal at 15 to someone for whom the term loyalty is clearly just a contractual concept. And when that man says music has value, Value, he means its value is beholden to men who had no part in creating it. When I left my masters in Scott's hands, I made peace with the fact that eventually he would sell them. Never in my worst nightmares did I imagine the buyer would be Scooter. Anytime Scott Borchetta has heard the word Scooter Braun escape my lips, it was when I was either crying or trying not to. He knew what he was doing. They both did. Controlling a woman who didn't want to be associated with them. In perpetuity. That means forever. And she goes on to close the letter saying she's happy her future music will be in her own control, but she also doesn't want other young artists to make the same mistake. Now following this post, to no one's surprise, this blew up. And you had everybody and their mother responding, and I actually mean that even Selena Gomez's mother responded. We saw some people speaking up to support Taylor. We also saw reports of huge names that unfollowed Scooter on social media, people like Beyonce, Harry Styles, Joe Jonas, Rihanna, and more. And I say there are reports, honestly, I don't even know if they were following them beforehand. But some of the notable reactions, I mean, you had Halsey on Twitter, of Taylor saying she deserves to own the painstaking labor of her heart, saying it speaks volumes to how far we have to come in the music industry. Performer Todrick Hall, who's a friend of Taylor, responding on Twitter. Those asking, I left Scooter Braun a 
long time ago. I am saddened by this news, but not shocked. He is an evil person whose only concern is his wealth and feeding his disgusting ego. And then going on to say, I believe he is homophobic and I know from his own mouth that he is not a Swift fan. I truly hope justice is served and that my friend's music will fall into the hands of a better human. We also saw the hashtag we stand with Taylor trending on Twitter. But of course, you also had people on the other side of this, people taking Scooter side. This including the likes of Justin Bieber. He apologized for the Instagram post Taylor mentioned in her letter and said that Scooter had nothing to do with it. Also going on to say that Scooter has always had her back and that they should work this out together, not online. And adding, I'm sure Scooter and I would love to talk to you and resolve any conflict, pain, or any feelings that need to be addressed. Neither Scooter or I have anything negative to say about you. We truly want the best for you. Demi Lovato writing on her Instagram story, I have dealt with bad people in this industry and Scooter is not one of them. He's a good man. You also saw Scooter's wife, Yale, sounding off on Instagram, saying you were given the opportunity to own your masters, you passed. Interesting that the man you're so grossed out by believed in you more than you believe in yourself. Also adding, your dad is a shareholder and was notified and Brachetta personally told you before this came out. So no, you didn't find out with the world. She pushed back against the allegations that Scooter was a bully and then said, you are supposed to be a role model, but continue to model bullying. And after all of this, we saw Scott Brachetta finally respond in a letter last night. There, he also said that Taylor should have known beforehand, saying that as a shareholder, her father was invited to a call on June 25th where the merger was announced. Brachetta also saying that he texted Taylor on Saturday night, which was before the news broke. He also went on to say that the deal that he was working on with Taylor, a big machine before she left to Universal, entailed that 100% of all of Taylor Swift assets were to be transferred to her immediately upon signing the new agreement, also including a part of that contract. Now, as far as the claim that she knew about the sale before it all happened, a spokesperson for Taylor Swift reportedly refuted that, saying, on June 25th, there was a shareholder phone call that Scott Swift did not participate in due to a very strict NDA that bound all shareholders and prohibited any discussion at all without risk of severe penalty. Her dad did not join that call because he did not want to be required to withhold any information from his own daughter. Taylor found out from the news articles when she woke up before seeing any texts from Scott Borchetta, and he did not call her in advance. And among those sounding off with this story, you had singer Iggy Azalea also tweeting about the logistics of sales like these. Telling someone about a deal days before it's public means the deal was already done and she never had the opportunity to even make a bid to own her own work. These deals take months to negotiate in long form. But hey, ultimately that's where we are with this story right now. It's gonna be very interesting to see how this develops, if it even develops. And the reason I say that is, I mean, it, it's possible that this is Taylor Swift kind of shouting that this is not okay, but maybe it goes away, or is maybe part of the plan or the hope or, you know, accidental hope that the outrage is so big, possibly long-lasting, possibly damaging to the people that he works with, that Scooter Braun will make a deal with Taylor Swift and give her her masters. But for now, we're gonna have to wait to see, and of course, I pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts around this? And let's talk about what is going on in Hong Kong. And for those who didn't see our previous coverage, here's some quick context. Over the last few weeks, we've seen tons of protests in Hong Kong over a proposed extradition bill. And this bill would allow the government to detain people accused of committing certain crimes and then send them to countries or territories that Hong Kong doesn't have extradition agreements with. And notably here, that includes China. Hong Kong used to be a British colony, but it was given back to China in 1997. And it now is an autonomous city-state of China, but it has its own economic and political system. And notably here, Hong Kong doesn't abide by the same censorship laws as mainland China. So the people of Hong Kong oppose the bill because they worry China could use the laws to target political activists and dissidents who are critical of the Chinese government. Early last month, the people of Hong Kong protested the bill by holding a series of just massive demonstrations. And while those demonstrations were largely peaceful, a protest on June 12th became violent when police clashed with protesters who had surrounded the legislative council. And a few days later, Hong Kong's chief executive, Carrie Lam, said that she would be suspending the bill indefinitely, but not fully withdrawing it. Which is important because the people wanted the bill withdrawn entirely. And so the next day, an estimated two million people came out to protest. And since then, the people have still continued to protest, taking to the streets, surrounding and entering government buildings. And on Wednesday of last week, hundreds of people demonstrated at foreign government's consulates in Hong Kong. This reportedly to call on foreign leaders to address their concerns at the G20 summit in Japan. And since then, we've seen protesters continuing to stage demonstrations, but all of these protests were relatively small and peaceful, and that is 
days until today. Early Monday morning local time, hundreds of protesters blocked three main roads with metal and plastic barriers. Those protesters were reportedly met by police who had batons and pepper spray. Police headquarters also reported that 13 police were taken to the hospital after protesters threw a quote, unknown liquid at them. But those clashes didn't escalate further and later thousands of people took to the streets for a peaceful pro-democracy march, with protest organizers estimating that 550,000 people turned out. But later in the afternoon, a breakaway group of protesters moved to the legislative council and began ramming the glass doors with a metal trolley. Rose riot police stood behind the glass door holding a sign that said, stop charging or we use force. But still, after a while, the protesters eventually succeeded in breaking one of the glass doors and entering through it. After that, the police reportedly fell back behind a metal barricade that surrounded the council and tried to push the protesters back with tear gas and smoke. But by nighttime, the police stepped back and the protesters were able to breach the metal barriers and enter the legislative council. And hundreds of protesters entered the council. They spray painted the walls, smashed glass, windows and doors, defaced portraits. Some protesters also read out a list of 10 demands in the legislative council chamber. And according to reports, those demands included universal suffrage, top officials associated with the extradition bill to resign, and an investigation into police violence during the recent protests. The Hong Kong Police Department issued a statement on Facebook saying, the police will clear the scene in the legislative council building in a short time. Obstruction or resistance, the police will take appropriate force. And shortly after they posted that, the police started using tear gas outside of the legislative council and advancing towards the building, where some protesters could be seen fleeing. And now we're actually seeing reports that the police have cleared most of the protesters from the legislative council building, as well as the areas around it. And even though it is in the middle of the night right now in Hong Kong, the situation is still developing. And so with all of this said, you might be wondering, why were the protests on Monday larger and more violent than the ones we've seen recently? And well, it appears that it's because July 1st is the anniversary of Hong Kong being handed over to China from Britain. And usually on July 1st, there are both pro and anti-China protests. And in fact, we did see a few thousand pro-China protesters coming out to show their support the day before. Also, at the same time as all these protests, government officials held a flag-raising ceremony to honor the anniversary. And at that ceremony, Carrie Lam spoke for the first time since she apologized to the protesters and suspended the bill. And during her speech, Lam said that she knew that the government has a lot to improve and added she will be spending more time listening to the people of Hong Kong, saying, This has made me fully realize that I, as a politician, have to remind myself all the time of the need to grasp public sentiments accurately. I am also fully aware that while we have good intentions, we still need to be open and accommodate. While the government has to ensure administrative efficiency, it still needs to listen patiently. But that speech ended up seeming kind of ironic to a good number of people because it was reported that local television news channels broadcasted a split screen, where on one side, Lam and other government officials from Hong Kong and China clinked champagne flutes and a toast to a unification, while on the other side, you had riot police clashing violently with protesters. But hey, ultimately, that is where we are with the situation. It's gonna be interesting to see how it develops. And of course, like with everything, I pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts around all of this? And then let's talk about what happened in Portland, Oregon this weekend. So on Saturday, there were multiple demonstrations in the Portland downtown area. And among those, it was reported that one was being held by the Proud Boys, another by the Him Too movement. Also, according to reports, there were going to be a number of counter protesters, this including supporters of Rose City Antifa, who even reportedly created an event called Milkshake Shake Back the Streets. And early last week, we saw Portland police releasing a statement where they explained that the Bureau knew about the protests and even though none of the groups had obtained permits for their events, people of Portland should still plan to avoid specific areas and provided a map. And according to the reports, these protests began around noon on Saturday. And reportedly, things were calm until members of the Rose City Antifa began moving towards the other groups. Which is when Oregonian reporter Jim Ryan tweeted out a video of a journalist being attacked. <laughs> Fucking owned, bitch! 
it. We also saw Portland police beginning to tweet as well, warning people that the scene had become violent and advised people to leave. And by 3 p.m., they had declared it a civil disturbance and unlawful assembly. We also saw Portland police tweet, police have been hit with eggs and milkshakes, as well as police have received information that some of the milkshakes thrown today during the demonstration contained quick drying cement. We are encouraging anyone hit with a substance today to report it to police. And once things had calmed down, the Bureau released a statement that same day, telling the public that in all three people were arrested on charges ranging from assault on a public safety officer to harassment and disorderly conduct. Also saying that eight people, including three police officers, were injured. The Assistant Chief Chris Davis addressing the day's events as well, saying, demonstration events are very fluid in nature and the management of these events is complex. There are hundreds of peaceful free speech events in the city in a given year that do not result in violence. Unfortunately, today, some community members and officers were injured and adding that they were investigating all of the incidents. And of course, one of the incidents includes the attack of journalist Andy No, who's an editor at Quillette. He is the man you see being attacked in the video from Jim Ryan that we showed before. According to reports, and I mean, if you just look at the video, it appears that people recognized Andy because they were shouting things at him. Andy had been documenting his day on Twitter, which first shows him covering the protests and taping them. Later, we see him following the crowds as they begin to move. But then, just after 1.30, Andy shares a video of him sitting on the ground where he says this. I just got beat up by the crowd, no police at all, um, in the middle of the street, and they stole my GoPro, and they punched me several times in my face, and my head, I'm bleeding. Where the hell were all of you? Can, can you talk to me? Yeah, where the hell were you? You know your name? My name's Andy Ngo. You know where you're at? I had been assaulted twice earlier today and reported it to your colleagues. Hey, we. And nothing was done. Andy, I'd, I'd like and to help you. And I was in right the middle of the street in the front documenting this. I'd like to help you. Can, can you tell me? They stole my evidence. They stole my GoPro. And the rest of the video shows police trying to figure out how serious Andy's condition was. And after posting that video, he followed up with tweets saying, attacked by Antifa, bleeding, they stole my camera equipment, no police until after, waiting for ambulance. If you have evidence of attack, please help. Andy later confirmed that he was going to the hospital, also posting a photo of himself at the ER later that night. Andy's lawyer also tweeting on Saturday night saying, update to Andy's supporters, he is being admitted to the hospital overnight as a result of a brain bleed. You sick quote, journalists and other hacks gloating about this should be a shame. As for the rest, please pray for Andy, who we need back in health, brave man. And giving another update on Sunday, saying, good news, Andy has been cleared to leave the hospital. You'll have more to say in coming days about what happened to him and others yesterday in Portland. He is very thankful for the overwhelming support from decent people, especially Michelle Malkin and donors. And as far as reactions from all of this, I mean, there was a there was a GoFundMe that was set up for Andy that's almost triple its current goal right now. As of recording, they've raised over $140,000 after asking for $50,000. We saw the organizer behind the event for the Him Too movement, Haley Adams, speaking out against the attack, saying to reporters, what I saw today, I am completely disgusted. Law enforcement coming after our people and then they are telling me to leave when I'm standing there like listening to our speakers. We also saw Senator Ted Cruz tweet, so law enforcement find and prosecute these violent felons. And then also later adding, the federal law enforcement investigate and bring legal action against a mayor who has for political reasons ordered his police officers to let citizens be attacked by domestic terrorists. You had NBC's Willie Geis condemning this violence tweeting, terrible if you're on here rationalizing physical violence by a masked mob because you don't like the victim's politics and rhetoric, please reconsider. Now at the same time, on the other side of this, you had Rose City Antifa calling Saturday an amazing success. In a post from their Facebook group, they wrote, the J29 demo was an amazing success, which is really very upsetting for the dwindling crew of fascists who come to our city in hopes of bullying vulnerable people. In the aftermath of the event, there have been a couple desperate attempts at right-wing spin doctoring, which in actual fact are giant bonus wins for anti-fascists. At the same time, you had people like Charlotte Clymer tweeting things like, Andy No intentionally provokes people on the left to drive his content.
content. Being attacked today on video taken by an actual journalist because no is definitely not is the greatest thing that could have happened to his career. You know it, I know it, he knows it, we all know it. And then after tweeting, violence is completely wrong and I find it sad and weak to allow a sniveling weasel like Andy No to get under one's skin like this. But I'm also not going to pretend that this wasn't No's goal from the start. I mean, let's cut the shit here. This is what they do. And personally, where I land on this, I personally right now align more with something that Brian Stelter said. He's been out there in the past. He's been covering protests in Portland for quite some time. Uh, his critics say he's there to, to cause trouble, but that's unacceptable. Uh, the idea that he would be attacked, that he would be uh, bloodied in that way, uh, unacceptable, period. Uh, and it's important uh, that everyone make that clear. Uh, even left-wing critics who don't like him and, and things like that. If there is evidence of Andy starting this fight, right, pushing someone, right, taking it to the next level, show it because otherwise it appears that a group of masked people just started attacking someone who was following them in public with a camera documenting what was happening. His politics shouldn't factor into him being physically assaulted. This should be one of the easiest things to denounce. Like if you have an issue with a public reaction, right, if you think that you, you perceive hypocrisy, I think you have to separate that opinion from your reception to uh, just someone being attacked attack someone that was not being violent, having violence inflicted upon them. Right around this, I saw the likes of Andy Lassner who tweeted, I'm against journalists being attacked. What happened to Andy is awful, terrible. And then at the end adding, I will say be very wary of those who are speaking up loudly against this attack, but didn't say a single word when an American journalist was cut into tiny pieces. But with all that said, I now pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts and or takeaway from this story? Let me know what you're thinking in those comments down below. And that's where we're going to end today's show. If you're new here, you want more of these daily dives, be sure to hit that subscribe button, ring that bell to turn on notifications. Also, if you're not 100% filled in, we have the last Philip DeFranco show, also the Rogue Rocket launch. You can click or tap right there to watch those now. But with that said, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.